Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. I feel like I've gone back to school. Um, ever since we had grandkids. You know, when you're raising your own children, life gets pretty busy, crazy. Like us, we had six of them, and, and you're dealing with issues, and you're dealing with problems in between the kids, you know, and uh, you know how that goes, right? And uh, so I think sometimes I was very close to it and just, you know, dealing with it and not really learning as much. But watching the grandkids go through some of the same things, I'm learning things, learning new things. And I shouldn't say it's, it's new, but it's... it's I'm seeing it in, in different ways that are helping me to understand some things. And, and one of the things that I notice when the kids don't get along, by the way, moms and dads, or if you've ever been a mom and dad, isn't the nonstop bickering and not getting along, doesn't that just wear on you? Oh, yeah, yeah it does, right? I mean, yeah. Right, and you, know, you try to deal with that. But every now and then something happens, and, and one, of the, one of the kids, and I see it with the grandkids especially, uh, typically more with the girls, but I've seen it with the boys too. All of a sudden, one of them comes to you and they are crying and this crying is just coming from deep down inside. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, and you ask, what happened? Well, she hit me. Okay, but I don't think this crying doesn't match, she hit me. And then she told me I was ugly. Now we're getting down to what's going on, see? And uh, sometimes it's, it's a sense of just being wronged and, and why would he or she do that to me? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Why would someone ever do that to me? And, and so we have this opportunity, you see, and, and they think that the need is, you know, the problem is that that person has mistreated them. And that's true, that is a problem, and it's something that needs to be dealt with. But what I watch and see now and realize that there is so, there's a much bigger thing to be dealt with there, a much bigger thing to be learned. And that is helping this child, whether it's right then or going forward, to, to learn and see, you know what, well, does that person get to decide whether or not you're ugly? Does that person get to decide whether or not you're important? Does that person get to decide whether or not you are worth loving? Does, do you understand what I'm saying? Or am I losing you here? If I'm losing you, just say yes. It's not your fault, it's mine, okay? Anybody? All right, there's a deeper issue, isn't there? that's causing this deep, deep hurt. And yeah, you know, what, what uh, set it off was the, the offense, you know, the hitting or the, the, the mean words or whatever. And yeah, that gets to be dealt with, but there's a deeper thing going on. And that's that, that this child needs to grow up learning that, that God is the one who gets to decide how valuable you are. And he's already, he's already settled that. He valued you enough to send his only son to be your savior. See, so he settled that part. But the child needs to learn this and that there's a bigger issue, okay? And, and so it's deeper. So oftentimes the, the issue that is presented is not the most important thing 
that needs to go on here. Now, the same is true in counseling. With, with adults, when adults show up for counseling, uh, they have in counseling what they call the presenting issue. And adults will come in for counseling and say, here's the problem, here's what's going on, here's what's happening, here's the change I need, the, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and it's not that that isn't true, but as you sit and listen and talk, you begin to realize that, you know what? There are some bigger things here going on in this person's life. How they're looking at the world, viewing themselves, whatever their habits are. In other words, what is being presented on the front end while a problem is not really the biggest problem. It's not the root problem. It's not the most important thing that needs to happen, okay? So now I've trained you all if you ever go see a counselor, right? Uh, but don't worry about that because there is a presenting issue and then that's okay. In fact, we see that God does the same thing with us because there are things that happen in our lives, needs that we experience that while we think that's the big problem needs to be dealt with, the reality is that God has either allowed this into our lives or maybe even brought it into our lives because there's something deeper. There's something bigger that he wants to accomplish in our lives. And so that's what we are uh, gonna be looking at here this morning as we uh, go to Exodus chapter 16. And uh, just read, we are about um, five, six days from where we left off last week, all right? So last week we talked about them crossing the Red Sea and what God had done. Now we're five or six days after this. Exodus chapter 16, uh, that is page, we're gonna be on pages uh, 78 through 80 today. And we do as always encourage you, I know I say it, but listen, we really encourage you to follow along in the Bible. If you don't have your own with you, or you don't have it in your phone or whatever, but there are Bibles under the chairs there. And it's really gonna help you if you follow along with this. And, and so we're gonna be on pages 78 through 80 today in there. Uh, Exodus chapter 16. So let's begin reading in verse one. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. And, and by the way, that's, it's not sin like when we think of sin, wrongdoing. This is just the name of a place and it's actually more connected to the word Sinai than it is to what we normally think of sin. So the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And so I think they departed on the 14th or 15th of the month prior. So we are one month from having walked out of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, out of Egypt. Um, so what's probably going on is that supplies are running low. You know, they, they took food with them, undoubtedly, and, uh, but now they're running out, and what are they gonna do? In fact, let's take a quick look, a, a review map of, of what we looked at last week. See Egypt up there, they'd come, they'd come down by the, the coastline of the Red Sea along the Gulf of Suez there, down to the bottom, and eventually had crossed over into the wilderness of sin. And go ahead to that next map, it's a little more of a close up. So here's where they crossed. Now they're a few days out here into this area. And as you can see, looking at the map, this is a desert area. It's not like you're gonna go, you know, pick food that's growing there. So they're running out of food and that's what we see happening here in verse number two. 
It says, then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, you know, I just read it that way on purpose because we tend to read that, but here's how this actually went. Oh, that we had died in Egypt. You know, at least back there we had something to eat and now you've brought us out. I mean, isn't it crazy that they say to most, what you do, bring us out here to kill us? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> do you remember the miracles that God did to bring us out? It's amazing how, uh, how uh, quickly people forget sometimes. And you've got to understand that these people had not had a close relationship with the living God for a long time. And this was sort of new to them. And so they were quick to forget. But so here we are. We're out here. We have nothing to eat. And that's a, legit, that's a legitimate need, right? If you run out of food, you need what? Food. That is the presenting need, Right? Okay, let's continue to read. Verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And know that when he says bread, uh, oftentimes the word Bible uses the word bread for just food in general. And that's sort of the way he's using it here. It's not like loaves of bread. No wonder bread's falling from the sky. Um, but he's going to provide food from heaven, a spiritual uh, a, a miraculous kind of food. Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Uh, it's interesting right here, we're gonna talk, but God's talking about meeting their need, but he says, I'm gonna meet the need in a way that does what? Test them. And God tests us to grow us. So they have this need up front of being hungry, but God is got other things in mind. So let's continue reading. Verse five, and it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay, so on the sixth day they're gonna pick up twice as much. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? So, you know, if you're familiar with the story of this Moses and the Exodus, don't you feel bad for Moses sometimes? I mean, it's not, you know, Moses isn't perfect, and we see that it shows up. But there are other places, and we aren't going to read it, but as I was reading and preparing, it's just like Moses says to God, God, what have I done that you're punishing me <laughs> with? these people and trying to lead them, right? So we see them getting after Moses here and it's a struggle for Moses. Verse eight, also Moses says, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us but against the Lord. By the way, this little side note, that's something we need to remember in life when we are doing what the Lord says, when we are sharing what the Lord has given us to share, or whatever, and people get upset, who's their problem really with? With God, that's right. Now, if you're being an idiot or a jerk, then their problem may be with you. 
But if you aren't doing that, if you're sincerely you know, living out your Christian faith and, and, and witnessing as the Lord gives opportunity because you care and all that, and people have a problem with you, remember their problem ultimately isn't with you, you're just doing what God has given you to do. Their problem is with God. And that's what Moses is saying to the people here. Look, if you've got a problem here, your problem's not with us, your problem is with God. Verse nine, then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness and behold the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, you may not, uh, if you don't know the story, uh, God had given a vis visible representation of himself uh, not representation, a visible manifestation of his presence with his people and out here in the wilderness. And during the day, it was this huge cloud, dark cloud, a pillar, okay, like a pillar just going up however high. And at nighttime, you could see the fire in it and it would provide light at night, okay? And so whenever that would move, then they would move. And so, but God is showing, I am present with you. And then what we're seeing here is apparently in the daytime, all of a sudden he makes them able to see that the, the fire working now. So he's getting their attention and reminding them, this is coming from me. I mean, who's speaking the words to the people? Moses, Aaron, okay? But God is making it clear as they speak that, listen, I'm the one here that you're, you're supposed to be hearing from and listening to. So when the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Okay, uh, so there's a need, isn't there, that he is going to meet. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. But I want you to see, he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm gonna give you food to eat. What's he say? And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. What did they think their biggest need was? Food. Did they need food? Yeah, but they had a bigger need. More than food, they needed to know who God was and what that meant in their lives. So here's the truth that I want you to see. Uh, when following the Lord, leads you to a place of genuine need, you can be confident that he is going to provide. All right, so just in a visible, visible representation here, is the idea is if, if God led me to walk from here to here, and then I get here, and now there's a genuine need in my life, and it's because I did what? It's because I did what? I follow the Lord. I, I did what the Lord said to do, and it brought me to a place where there is a need in my life. I can be confident that God is going to meet this need, right? Now, where, where we uh, typically, I think, uh, our mind runs to with the need is, is, you know, we feel the need maybe the most in the area of our money sometimes, okay? And so, as, as you're growing as a Christian and you're, you're looking in the word and you're, you're hearing preaching and other people are talking to you, mature Christians, and you start to realize, hey, wow, I need to trust God with my finances uh, because ultimately it all comes from him, okay? And, and he says that I should uh, live this faith out by giving to him first, okay? And so you say, you know what, That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna do that. And you do it and you give to God first and then 
I don't know how many times I've seen this happen. People step out in faith and say, okay, I'm gonna trust you, God, and they give to God first, and they do that, and guess what happens in their life all of a sudden? The car breaks down, right? The refrigerator quits working. A bill shows up that they had, didn't realize was coming. Whatever, right? Well, what I want you to understand is if you have Follow the Lord's leading. You've gone to his word. You aren't being ridiculous. It's just very clear what he said. And you said, okay, God, I'm going to do that. And you give like that. And now you find yourself in a place of financial need because you have followed the Lord. You can be confident that God is going to work somehow to take care of that situation and take care of that need. You see, but this goes way beyond money. This goes in the area of relationships. Have you ever found yourself in, in a difficult situation in a relationship because you said, boy, I really need to do what God says? And it created problems in a relationship? And there's a need here to somehow rather resolve this problem? Well, guess what? If you're there because the Lord has led you there, you can be what? Confident that he's going to work and he's going to meet the need. See, we kind of talked about this last week. What we can't do is say, okay, I'm following the Lord and I'm going to this place and then, oops, there's a problem and I do what? <laughs> Go back. No, no, you remember what the Lord told them last week? As they stood by the Red Sea and here's Pharaoh and his army's coming from the other way, what'd he tell them? Go forward. Well, I can't, there's a Red Sea here. Go forward. And then God works. You see, and that's what he does in our lives. It may be that you, you uh, realize that with your schedule, and of course you're here today, so this isn't obviously applying to you at this point in your life. It applied, happened to me when I worked at uh, General Mills back in the uh, first year I was married. I didn't know for sure what I wanted to do yet, and so I got a job packing flour. Okay? Working at General Mills. And, and when they were busy, they were running seven days a week. And I got put on days, seven days a week. The problem was I was the, uh, the worship leader and a, and a Sunday school teacher um, in the, uh, uh, the church there that I was a part of. And I had to work. And this work would have been for the next three or four months. And I just didn't feel that that's what God wanted me to do. So, so I was a good employee. What I did, I think I've told you this story before, but so I'm scheduled to work on Sunday, so I start trading around, trying to find people to, to work for me. And at the time, we had Sunday night services, so I led the singing there and the choir on Sunday night too, did all that. So I felt like I needed to be there Sunday night as well. And I really felt this is what God wanted me. He wanted me to be there, not be working. And so I, I worked days on Friday, and I traded with someone to work the second shift on Saturday, and I traded with somebody else to work third shift on Sunday night, so I could be there in church all day. But then I had to get back on the schedule. I doubled back in and worked 3 to 11 on Monday, doubled back in and worked the day shift on Tuesday, and I didn't know what day it was anymore. <laughs> I was a mess. And I realized I couldn't do that. And I remember I, I went in and I talked to the foreman and I just explained. I said, I can't do that anymore. And so I let you know that I, if I'm scheduled on days on Sunday, I will not be there. I will call you. And I won't be there. And I ended up doing that. Now, 
I didn't get fired or anything, whether it affected anything or not, it didn't matter because eventually my wife and I decided to leave and go away to Bible college anyway. But the point is, I had to make a decision. This is what God wants me to do. I'm going to follow his leading. And, and it might cost me my job, but I'm going to do what he's going to do. And so I get to this place of need. I am confident that what? I mean, because I thought about what's going to happen. But I had this, this confidence that I have this situation because I'm following the Lord. And because I had this situation because I was following the Lord, I was confident he would meet the need. And he did. Now, there's something about this that we need to understand. Could you put that point back up for us, Mitchell? This is conditional. And it starts out that when what? When following what? When following the Lord puts you in that situation, okay? Well, what if I go along and I'm just doing my own thing, you know, with my money, I'm doing my own thing, spend here, that it is, and all of a sudden I come up and I have this big need. Oh God, you're gonna take care of this need, right? Well, all I say, sometimes God is gracious and works, but my point is you have no confidence that God is going to come through and meet that need because you don't have this need because you're following him. You have this need because you're doing your own thing. And when you're doing your own thing, God may say, you know what, you have a bigger need than this financial need. You have a need to realize that the way you're leading your life doesn't honor me and it works against you. And he may not provide that need. So man, I think this is really good motivation in your life, and not just about money, but about any of the, the circumstances of life that you find yourself in, that you need to be following the Lord. And when you are following him, you have great confidence that any of the needs that are there, he's going to work and he's gonna provide and take care of this thing. But when you are not following the Lord, when you are doing your own thing, and it's maybe you're not doing really bad things, but you aren't following the Lord, your life is not about God, what do you want me to do today? And how do you want me to serve you in this situation? And when your life is not about that and a problem comes, you know what? You're kind of on your own. Now, that doesn't mean God isn't working. Oh, he's going to work, but he may work through you crashing and burning. I've had a couple of those times in my life. I don't like them very well. So we need to follow the Lord. And when we do, we can be confident that he will meet the need. So never make a decision about whether or not to follow the Lord saying, well, if I follow the Lord, it's gonna create this need or it's gonna create this problem. Never do that. No, I'm gonna follow the Lord, knowing that he will deal with those things when they come up. All right, let's continue. Verse number 13. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, all right? So God says, I'm gonna give you meat at night. Go ahead and show the, the pretty picture of the birds there, yeah. These are quail, okay? So I don't know how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of quail came up, I don't know, but somehow or other God brought them into the camp and into where they were so they could capture them and, and eat them for supper. Uh, so he gives them that and then it says, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. 
And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the food which he has given you. Jump over to verse 31. It says, and the house of Israel called its name, this stuff, its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Why do they call it manna? That word may or may not mean something to you today, but you know what? The word manna means what? What, what is it? So what did they call it? What is it? <laughs> For the next 40 years, they call it, what is it? <laughs> and it's what God had provided from heaven. Uh, in Numbers chapter 11, it describes it this way. It says, uh, now the manna was like coriander seed and its color like the color of bdellium. And bdellium is this amberish, sometimes darker amberish color. Its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. You know what, what comes to my mind? Uh, and by the way, someplace else it talks about like honey and the color of honey. So I, this reminds me of, of Tina Perusis' baklava. This was manna. Uh, I don't know, but it sounds like it's pretty good, right? And it is pretty good. We're not going there today, but how would you like it? That's what you have to eat for 40 years. I've got to tell you, Tina, I love your baklava, but I think I wouldn't handle it well for 40 years. But, but that's what God provided. Okay. Uh, White coriander seed, what is that? Well, here's a picture of white coriander seed. And it doesn't look very white to us when we look at that, uh, but it's, it's like white coriander seed and compared to brown coriander seed. That's, we have another picture here of what brown coriander seed is like. Okay, so you see that's a darker color. And so go back to the white coriander seed. And so what they found is something like this, only I think smaller. This is white coriander seeds about like that, but this says it was very fine like frost, so small, Kind of like that, okay? Like coriander seed, which they could use. They could grind it, they could boil it, they could bake it, they could do all sorts of things. Uh, but this is the nutrition that God is providing for them. And I can't help but think that somehow this is very nutritionally dense because this is actually going to sustain them and keep them healthy for years as they eat it. All right, let's go back to verse 19. Oh, wait, no, read verse 16, sorry. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person. An omer is about two quarts or a half a gallon. According to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And how, uh, how often did they have to do this? Every day. Every day. Kind of makes it, it gives you a sense of what Jesus was talking about in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 when he said, give us when? This day, our daily bread. And we don't typically live like this, do we? We, we aren't having to get up every morning and saying, I wonder if God's gonna provide me something to eat today, like he said. But that's their situation. They got up every morning and had to depend that God had once again provided what they needed. Uh, by the way, this is the way we need to live, isn't it? 
Would that change your perspective on trusting God? Would you have to learn to trust God if every day when you got up you had to say, is God going to provide me today what I need to live? Well, guess what? It really is that way. Even if you have a paycheck and you went shopping, could things happen that all of a sudden that's all gone today? It could. And so we need to learn to live every day. I'm trusting you today, God, to provide my needs. Let's continue reading, verse 19. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. You either had to eat it all or you had to throw it out. You couldn't, couldn't have, uh, save it for tomorrow. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning and it bred worms and stank. That's a good word, stank. And Moses was angry with them, okay? So God set this up where they could not save it up for tomorrow. Every day they had to trust God to provide. Verse 21, so they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. So they had to get out and get it too because it's just gonna disappear. They have to obey God. Verse 22, and so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread. Remember they were instructed to do that and maybe there was twice as much on the ground. Two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. Now, wait a minute. Don't we have a problem here? We're cooking double today. We're waiting till, what, what do we think is going to happen tomorrow morning? Worms, stench. What's the difference? God said to do this. Verse 24, so they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. So they get up on the seventh day, which has been a Saturday, get up and, and there's nothing there today. Now, there are people all the time who try to explain this as, as, as some natural occurrence that you know just happens naturally. But there's no way this happens naturally. If every six days it's there and on the seventh day it's not. This stuff is there, why? Because God provided it. God provided it. All right, verse 26. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people, we could have predicted this, couldn't we? That some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, and he's saying it to Moses, but really he's speaking it to the people. How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Why did God do this? Why these instructions? Why these rules? Well, sometimes the Lord requires us to do things in a way that doesn't come natural to us. What would have been the natural thing? Two natural things, really. One is if you have some left over for today, do what? Save it for tomorrow. And 
You're going to go out on the seventh day and pick it up again. That's what's natural. But God says, no, you can't leave it till tomorrow. And no, you don't pick it up on the seventh day. There's not going to be any on the seventh day. You've got to pick up double on the sixth day and prepare it on that day. Why? Why does he have us do things in a way that don't come natural to us? Well, he, he uh, gives some insight to that in the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy goes back and covers all of this time with Israel and, and retells it with some interpretation. And it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, talking about what God did. He said, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna. Why? That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Because if it's just by bread alone, we go out and we gather it, we keep it, we save it, we go out every day, we go out any time we want. But guess what? It doesn't work that way. Because God has said something, didn't he? God said, no, you can't save it until tomorrow. So you have to learn to what? Do it God's way. God says you have to pick up double on, on, on Friday. And if you don't, you're not going to have any on. So you have to learn to do it God's way. You want to go out on the seventh day? No, you can't. Do, you have to learn to do it God's way. Man, I just got to tell you that this would change your life if today you would leave here with this sense of, you know what, all these things and needs and all the things I'm doing in my life, you know what, I have to make sure that I know what God has said and I have to do what God has said. Because I can't just live my life like this. I gotta live my life like this with God. And, and, and you, you know where we hear this again, don't you? When Jesus is confronted by Satan in this temptation, and, and he's been 40 days not eating, and, and he's hungry, the Bible says, and Satan shows up and says, hey, you know, you're the son of God, why don't you just turn these rocks into bread and eat? And Jesus says, nope, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I think if it's good enough for Jesus, it ought to be good enough for us, shouldn't it? We need to learn to live this way. He says a little bit later in Deuteronomy chapter 8, in verse 16, describes it. he says, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that he might test you. So he tests us to, to you know, see where we're at, for us to see where we're at and evaluate. Do we really trust God? Are we really going to do things his way? Are we really going to follow his word? But look at that last phrase, to do you good in the end. What is God's intention? Where is he taking you with these tests? Where is he taking you with these problems? Where is he taking you when he allows you to come into need? And what's, what's his goal? You're good. You're good. And what do we want to do? Avoid it at all costs. Mitchell, for time's sake, I'm going to skip forward here just a little bit, all right? Let's look here in chapter 16, verse 32. It says, Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of man in it and lay it up before the, the Lord to be kept for your generations. Okay? And, and so um, God says, take two quarts of this and save it. Save it with your stuff that is like the memorials to me. 
the things that are going to show how I have worked in your life. Well, once again, what do we say? What's going to happen in the morning? What do we think was going to happen the next day? You think there's going to be worms, it's going to stink, but no, see? That's what I mean. This is from God. All of this is from God. And he says, keep it, because there's going to come a day down the line when people weren't here, didn't experience this, and it's going to be a testimony to me. And what happened in your life with me? So let's go ahead and uh, skip forward, Mitchell, uh, to this, this point. When God allows you to come to the end of your resources, it's because he intends to deepen your relationship with him. He wants you to learn something about him. He wants you to know him. And what's the outcome of this? To your good. The end being for your good. I don't like coming to the end of my resources. This isn't just money. This isn't just food. You ever come to the end of your emotional resources? You ever come to the, the end of your ideas and, and, and your ability to figure things out and solve things? Do you ever reach wit's end in a relationship where you don't know how to, to go any farther? And all he says, we, we want to avoid those things if all possible. And I'm with you on that. I don't really want to go there, but I want you to know that we should not be afraid of getting there. Because when we find ourselves at the end of our resources, we have no more to bring on this then God works. And he doesn't just meet that need, he deepens our relationship with him. And, and how good is that? There's nothing better than that. Uh, the apostle Paul talked about this when he said, you know, every, nothing else matters. Nothing else is of value except knowing him. Nothing else compares to having that relationship with him. Because when you have that relationship with him, man, you can walk and live your life and everything will find its rightful place. But if you do not do that, nothing finds its rightful place. Nothing. Um, and so, let's see here. Yeah, so what we need to do really ultimately is find a side that we are going to follow the Lord. All right, we talked about having need because you're following the Lord. The decision we need to make is to what? Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. And, and to trust him. And when we come into places where we're out of our resources, to look to him, to grow close to him. But we have to yield to him. We have to surrender to him. We have to say, I got to live my life the way God wants me to live my life. I, I no more of this just bumping along. No more just doing what's comfortable. No more just doing what makes sense to me. I have to know you, God. I have to know what you want me to do. I have to understand what your word says. And, and put that first. Put him first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And Everything that you need will be added to you. God will take care of that. And so really seek the kingdom of God first. It comes down to surrendering your life to him. His way, not yours. And his way is not what comes natural to you. Remember, God says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now I'm going to go back and end with something that we looked at 
a little over three years ago here. Do you remember the sermon series, some of you, The Jesus Way? So let's go to that last image there. Jesus Way is the only way to live God's way, which is the best way. And it's not naturally my way, but I choose today to exchange my way for Jesus' way. And that's my challenge to you here today. Whatever you think it means in your life, whatever it's going to cost, however uncomfortable it's gonna make you, no matter what you don't know about how, any of that, I am challenging you today to say, okay, not my way anymore. I'm gonna start exchanging my way for his. Let's bow our heads today. And right now I want you to, before God, you and God, you and the Lord who saved you. Think about your life. Are you surrendered and yielded to his ways? Are you following him faithfully, consistently? Or are there places in your life you're kind of holding out on that or just not even paying attention? I really want to challenge you right now, just in, in the quietness of the next few moments, to say, okay, God, no, not my way anymore, your way. Father, thank you that you are so faithful to work in our lives. You're so faithful to let us experience need. You're faithful to let us be tested. You're faithful to bring us to the end of our resources because you have something better for us and you know what's best for us. And oh God, I pray that we would, would not play some stupid game of thinking we can substitute our ways for yours. Oh God, challenge us, give us no rest until we genuinely yield to you, follow you, and desire to know you and make that more important than anything else in our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.